Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to season five of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. Just before we get into this chat, I want to remind you that my new book, Naked, is out and it's the new bullshit-free guide to creating a calmer life and it's called Naked, 10 Truths to Change Your Life and I'm so proud of this one. It really is something that was very hard for me to put together in that it required me to be so vulnerable with myself and that is the point of the whole book is to own our vulnerability and make life a lot easier and there's a lot in the book which I'll go through at some point in various episodes but for now it's available wherever you buy your books online so thank you so much if you do get naked I appreciate the support obviously I mean getting naked by buying the book not taking your clothes off and um, so for my episode today I'm joined by a very very accomplished man in his 40s called Gareth Mullins who is an executive head chef at a five-star hotel here in Dublin called The Marker and Gareth is someone who I've met a few times and we have always gotten on well. He reached out to me last year when he was having a hard time with anxiety and I remember being so taken aback that someone of his I suppose level of accomplishment and being a man would be willing to reach out to someone like me and say actually do you know what I'm not okay and it was really a good sign that look men are starting to really own their anxiety and talk about it and want to get you know help. So Gareth was very kind and willing to chat to me just now about his experience of anxiety and how he balances that with his very fast-driven, hectic lifestyle as a chef in a very busy kitchen where things can get heated and there's no room for mistakes. So I hope you enjoy this chat. I think it will really make a lot of difference to people who are maybe struggling with the shame around mental health and who are very much um, driven towards perfection, which I definitely can relate to as well. So thank you so much and thank you for listening and hopefully you will subscribe and leave us a nice review. Enjoy. I'm so, so happy to be joined now on Zoom for season five of Owning It with Gareth Mullins, but I'm going to call you Gar because we go back a little while now to when we first met working on TV together, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the six o'clock show, uh, possibly, where you, where you were in showing me your culinary skills. Oh my God, I don't really have any at all now. If, if, I, if I manage not to burn something, that's about as far as it goes. Um, but you are the executive chef at The Marker, which is a five-star hotel in Dublin, probably one of the best hotels in the country. And I've eaten your food both on TV and in person in the hotel, and it is absolutely exquisite. So oh, thank you're, you. you're a very fancy person indeed. And we're not here to talk about food, obviously, um, being the nature of the podcast, we're here to talk about anxiety. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to chat to me because it's really, really hard, believe it or not, to get men to actually talk about experiencing anxiety. And I mean, it's probably experienced more by women or maybe women are just more vocal about it. Um, But do you think that 
men generally find it harder to to kind of even admit that they're they're struggling in the first place? Um, I suppose I don't think I I totally understand why you're finding it hard. I think that anxiety is something that creeps up on you. That's certainly my experience of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find I most people that know me would know that I'm a relatively confident, probably even a little bit more than relatively confident type of person. Okay. I don't suffer from my nerves really when it comes to doing most of the the media work that I do is live, like whether it's yeah. live TV, live radio. And I never feel nervous before, ever. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a different kind and, of anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I suppose that's where the conundrum started for me because I was like, because the, I, I mean, I think I might have reached out to you only a couple of years ago, this started with me. And um, the other thing that really confuses me about this is that it doesn't stay here. It comes and it goes. And yeah. when things are going really well, and I start feeling this way. Maybe it is anxiety. I still haven't figured it out, if I'm being honest with you, Caroline. You know, it's, it's still very confusing to me. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is, is that if I don't tick certain boxes in my life, I start feeling crap. Um, and that's only started in my life in the last few years. I don't know how long it started. Maybe I've only really started to understand it in a few years. But all through my 20s, I remember having conversations with friends of mine who maybe, I mean, we spoke about it briefly, but food is a, it's a huge part of my life and has been ever since. Like, I'm working in kitchen since I'm 14. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 41 or 42 now. I'm 42 next week. So um, I've been surrounded by food and I've been surrounded by my career since I'm in my early teens. And I remember, you know, friends of mine weren't working and I was looking at them going, what is wrong with you? Like, why aren't you going to work? And I really, and they were like, oh, I don't really feel, I'm feeling low. And I, and I remember saying to one of my friends, that, that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Get out of bed, go to work and you'll feel better. Wow. Um, and, you know, that that's 20 odd years ago. And I, the ignorance of what I said at the time and now looking back on it, I feel a little bit embarrassed by actually saying that to that person. I mean, um, I don't think you should because that was a different time. There was no awareness around mental health. I think everyone had that attitude and it was very much just get out of the bed, have a cup of tea, get on with it and you'll yeah. be fine. I'm astonished to hear that your friends were even saying to you, do you know what? I feel a bit low. Like, were, these were male friends, I presume. Yeah, and they mightn't have said that, right? They might, yeah. like I was probably giving them grief for not going to work because, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and I understand myself a little bit better, you know, I'm probably a little bit of a, not I'm probably, I am a workaholic, right? It's a huge yeah, I can, part I of can what see it that. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, you know, work is, is, you know, if I don't tap in, and this is about me saying I'm taking one of the boxes, if I don't tick the creative box, I start feeling not right. And, yeah. and I don't know else to say that. And um, yeah. if I, I, I exercise is a huge part of my life. Um, I start, I've always trained at some capacity, but I started really getting into training a few years ago. Uh, and I think you, you might know John Belton and Kevin Belton and Liam, the, the lads on number 17. Oh, yeah. um, I train with them and, you know, they, they taught me about CrossFit and I started getting into all different types of training, a little bit of weightlifting, a lot of cardio work, all different types of stuff. And I also realise now if I don't do that, I feel crap. So, okay. you know... Um, so you have your coping around, mechanisms. Yeah, and I, but I never knew that I had those. Like, I used to just think, you know, when I was too busy in work and I wasn't training and I started not feeling right, I was I was putting that down to people in work were annoying me and work was annoying me. And, you know, I've been chasing this uh, dream of perfection uh, for ever since I was really young when it comes to my culinary career. Yeah. Um, and it's only in the last couple of months, maybe, or certainly the pandemic has taught me that, um, perfection doesn't exist it's such a driver of anxiety I mean I have a whole chapter in my book about that you know just like always having that bar for perfectionism you're always going to fall short because it'll keep moving for you but you know like a, a good mate of mine said to me he was like Aren't you? you know it's probably a double-edged sword he was like if you weren't built that way you probably wouldn't have the success that you have exactly um, that's what I say to myself the, as well <laughs> yeah, yeah but the other thing about it is like I wouldn't and this is going to sound really stupid and probably a little bit egotistical but I wouldn't really put myself as a successful a really successful person I always think there's a lot of things that I should have done much better there's different parts of my career that I really should have done a hell of a lot better on you know, and when I say that to my friends, they look at me and go, are you just looking for praise? Are you digging for, and I'm like, no, I'm not digging for that. I'm trying to explain that, you know, this feeling of not succeeding 
is always in the background somewhere, you know. And I, yeah. I, I don't I don't like it about myself. It's it's a flaw that I have. A lot of what you're saying, there's like a lot of different factors that, in my experience of anxiety, sounds like there's a lot of different influences that have led to this feeling of anxiety for you. But I'd love to go yeah. back for for listeners and before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of coping mechanisms, would you say that you were never an anxious person until one point that it, that it hit you? I was never an anxious person until I was in my late thirties. Okay, and what was going um, on in your life at that point? Um, probably career, and you know, um, this this wondering, uh, you know, is this where my career is now? You know, I'm at an age now where I'm in my late thirties. I'm moving into my forties. I've my, one of my biggest goals when I lived in Australia for about six or seven years, um, and I came back in '07 just before the recession. Um, and I was the an exec chef of the mark of the W Hotel in Sydney. Wow. Um, when I was I was the youngest exec chef at the time of a five star hotel in Sydney, and plus obviously not being from Australia, I, I was definitely the youngest international chef over there to hold that type of role. Um, and I was like, all right, we're going home to Ireland now. And uh, we wanted to, we were just about to get married. We were obviously talking about having kids. Well, not obviously, we were talking about having kids. Um, I had bought a house back here. I was looking to buy a second property. Um, and I was like, look, it's time to go home now. I thought I would have sailed home, sailed into a job as a five, in a five-star hotel as the exec chef. I got back here and um, there was no work. Uh, I met a guy up in Temple Bar and he owned uh, a couple of restaurants. And he said to me, oh, yeah, look, I'm looking for a head chef. And you'd run this restaurant and you'd have to keep the eye on the other one. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And I was like, what type of revenue do you turn over? And we were getting into the nitty-gritty of where it was going and he said to me what's your salary expectation and I told him what I was on in Australia obviously it was in dollars and I was like what are you looking and he says well I can offer you 12 euros an hour oh my god and I was like excuse me this is over I stood up and walked out but at the time there was people that weren't qualified being given positions that they weren't qualified to take and because work was so scarce there was people that were really underqualified taking these jobs that they shouldn't have been taken. And that wasn't just happening in the, in the catering sector. That was happening across all types of sectors. And, you know, like friends that were in the building game were saying that there was all these builders out there that were doing building work and they weren't qualified. And, you know, there was all that stuff that was going on. And I was sitting, I was looking home and I said to my wife, we had to make a mistake. You know, after walking away from a really good job in Australia, we were doing really well. And now I'm back here. What are we going to do? I ended up going to see, uh, I worked in the Marion before I left to go to Australia. And I went back to see the guys in the Marion. As it turned out, they had a position as, as a senior sous chef, which is just basically a manager's position. So I took that and after a couple, after maybe six months or seven months, they promoted me to the head chef of restaurant and bar up in, in the Marion, which is a role that I thought I'd keep for a short amount of time. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll get a, a job as an exec chef. And I ended up staying in that role for seven years. And I don't ever remember feeling anxious at all through that time. Um, you know, and I've been obviously doing a little bit of thinking about this of late. And then I, went, then I got the job in the marker. And that was, you know, I had a goal that I was going to be the exec chef of a five-star hotel before I was 30 in Ireland. I had to change that a little bit. That ended up I was 32 or 31 or 32 so I ended up being the exec chef in in a five-star hotel in my hometown that was always a big goal and I'm still in that extremely happy in that position at the moment and um, but a few years ago then I just started feeling I don't know how to really describe it, a little tetchy or a little you know I kind of I I wear my heart on my sleeve and anybody that's worked at me now knows that you know if something's ain't right I'm going to tell you pretty quickly that it's not right are you a bit of a Gordon a Gordon Ramsay I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not a screamer, I'm not a shouter, but I do have a tendency to really strive for things to be right all the time. Um, and the other thing that I really, really am insistent on is consistency. So th- th- things need to be the same. And when things are the same, that's when you start seeing quality. And, you know, that's something that's been bred into me um, from a professional point of view from a very young age. But, you know, I have this thing that uh, I call the white mist mm-hmm. um, that, that comes over me when something isn't going the way I want it to. And I don't know how to describe it or explain it, but it's just this feeling of, I don't know whether the word is anger or... Frustration. Yeah, frustration. And, you know, I generally end up taking it out on people that I don't want to take. Basically, anybody that's in front of me, it gets taken out on. So um, from a professional point of view, and it's not not nice 
it's something that I've had to really learn how to uh, manage and I have to now start walking away from things um, and I also have to understand that you know things aren't going to be perfect all the time and that's a difficult thing to come to terms with when you're striving for perfection what you do is very yeah. much linked with perfection you you can't just put a load of slop on a plate and serve it to someone you know people exactly. have expectations exactly. going into that environment um and just to go back to the anxiety that when you came home from australia was it very tangibly linked to not having a job or, or coming back to a shit situation did it dissipate for you once you were in the marion uh, or and how did it actually manifest for you i don't know whether i felt it back then i was trying to remember whether i did feel all i remember feeling back then was i uh, maybe maybe i never put it in a box and called it anxiety but yeah. I remember just thinking, shit, man, we made the wrong decision. But, like, this was all over the space of a couple of weeks. Before I knew it, I was back in my weights. I was in the kitchen at the Marion. Um, I knew that environment very well. Uh, I, I slotted straight back in, you know, an extremely prestigious hotel, cooking incredible food, with, surrounded by a wonderful team environment where, yeah. um, you know, I was, I was back to what I knew and what I loved, you know. I was back to doing what I was doing. And then it just f- it fell back into the routine of graft, you know, like just working long hours, you know, mm-hmm. long shifts, you know, getting up early, coming home late. And then, you know, the, the next wonderful part of my life started where my kids started to arrive, you know. So I have two amazing children and, you know, a wonderful wife that's extremely supportive to what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, this is a huge part of what I do with uh, Sheffield. So it, it it's kind of sounds a bit cliche, but it's not really a job. Like if you want to get good, you really have to buy into it on every level. But what, what I've experienced... In, and I haven't, I've actually been okay in the last while, but um, the, the start of the last lockdown was the last time I felt really lousy. Um, and that was really because, you know, there was layoffs going on. and You know, I wasn't in work. I wasn't doing the grafts. I had to learn, well, what's going on? Why am I back here again? Like, I thought it was okay. Like, why is this after coming on me again? Um, and I ended up going up to see the doctor and he was like, you know, I thought it COVID. That's what I thought that was going uh, on. So ha- what were you feeling physically? I couldn't breathe. You know, I had this sensation of like, where's my breath gone, you know? And then I said to my wife, like, I, I can't breathe. But like, literally, every time you turned on the radio or you turned on the TV or you looked at your phone, it was like, if you can't breathe, you have COVID. I mean, it shortness of breath. And I was like, I'm not getting COVID. And I rang my GP. It's my GP since I was a child. And he was like, mm, I don't know whether you have COVID. I think you need to come up and see me. So when I went up, to, you know, he asked me what was going on. And I told him what was going on. And um, I probably wasn't seeing it at the time, but he was saying, uh, you know, how's your training going? I know that's a big part of how you set yourself up. And I was like, oh, I haven't been, done. you know, I'm getting back to it. And he was like, Garrett, you're, you're feeling anxious. Like, this is, he, he and he done this, he, he explained it to me wonderfully about, he put his hands together, like, and he explained it, my uh, chest cage to me. And he was like, what's going on is, he's, and he was pushing his hands closer and closer together. He was like, that's what's happening with your chest at the moment. And he says, you're now, you're, you, I'm an asthma, I, have, I was an asthmatic as a kid. And he was like, do you remember when you used to have asthma attacks? And I used to explain this to you. He says, well, now your chest cavity and your lungs are closing up a little bit. He says, and your heart rate is going up to see what's going on. And he says, and that's the feeling, that's making the feeling of anxiety come on even more, which is making you feel even more anxious. And he says, and that's where the shortness of breath is coming from. So, Were you comfortable with being told that anxiety was something you were, str- you were struggling with or being a perfectionist? Was that like, no, that's not me? No, it kind of felt like someone was at the diagnosing me with um, like a, a, a different type of disease. And I was like, you know, I don't want to say cancer or, you know, I don't want to say something like that because that's not the right thing to say. But I wasn't a bit comfortable. I, I was like, no, that's not what's going on here. Something else is going on here and it's not that. In your head, with, I suppose, not having experienced it very much up to that point, did you feel that that was weakness that you weren't willing to accept? Yeah, it was. I just, I felt like I was failing. I was like, why? For all these years, I've been thinking that people that were feeling depressed in some way, it was laziness. Yeah. You know, I attributed um, somebody feeling down to feeling that their mental capacity is not, that, that they just don't have the mindset to be able to drive through it. You know, and the reality is the the strongest driven, most capable people in the world, this can catch them on the volley on an hour. And was you it know, a very humbling experience? Yeah, it was humbling, but it was also made me understand that, you know, without talking and without turning to the people that really mean the most to you, that, you know, you could end up in a very, very dark place very quickly. So, you know, I'm 
blessed that I'm, I'm supported by so many wonderful people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, not just personally, professionally. Uh, and, you know, there's a wonderful program that's in the hotel called the EAP. It's an employee assistance program that's there for everybody to use all of our employees. So if anybody is feeling in the, uh, mentally that they're not feeling okay, they get access to, uh, to go and see somebody um, and they get 10 free visits to go and speak to a doctor that specializes in mental health. So, um, yeah, so, you know, there, there, there is mechanisms now. And I suppose if this was going on with me 15, 20 years ago, um, maybe those, those things weren't there, you know? So, um, I had to very quickly realize that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, you know, I'm not failing. How did you get around that feeling that you were failing because you were struggling with your mental health? Um, I suppose whenever I can't just fix something very quickly, that, that to me is a failure. Yeah. You know, and anxiety doesn't that, work that way. No. And look, that's where the white mist comes in. So if I'm in work and something's not going the way it's supposed to go, like how I generally fix it is by putting the shoulder to the wheel. And making sure everybody around me is putting the shoulder to the wheel. And because of the job that I do, generally that fixes stuff. You know, if we all just move and change a gear. Like mm-hmm. the thing of my job is, right, when somebody orders something, we've 20 minutes to get it to you. No matter what happens, after 15 minutes, if your food is not arriving, you're going to start feeling, right, these people don't know what they're doing. Where's my food? So mm-hmm. the minute an order comes out of a machine, the clock is ticking. So if you have a fella that's kind of not really concentrating or he's not watching what he's doing, then, you know, the clock is ticking. And then the, the only way to stop to, to get them moving is to really hook, like ring the alarm bells, right guys, let's go, let's move it. And then things get fixed. So I thought to myself, I'm not feeling quite right here. Right. Let's get the shoulder to the wheel. Let's start running more. Let's start lifting more weights. Let's start working more. So I just started to turn the heat up under everything. That was probably the worst thing I ever could have done. I probably needed to, you know, I've been trying to learn about um, taking a step back, know, taking a step back, and really thinking, you know, if I miss a day in the gym, it's not the end of the world. Or um, my wife is a Pilates, Denise is a Pilates instructor, so she teaches. She's been teaching me about breathing and you know stretching mm-hmm. correctly and being able to just stop. It's tricky because the things that keep you well, and this happens so many people going to the gym, you know, throwing yourself into work having your shit together can sometimes mm. become counterproductive whereas if if you don't hit all those marks then you feel like you're falling apart and mm. what was the antidote becomes part of the problem and it's a very tricky yes. balance to achieve between something you know contributing to your wellness but not being so that you have to you can't apply your perfectionist thinking towards that which makes you feel well would that make sense to you it does, yeah, but I also think for me it was about understanding what was going on and because I didn't understand at the start what was going on, there was it was part of the process if that's how I had to get through it. So then, then you know, I started going, actually, maybe there is something else and then very, very reluctantly I went to see the doctor. Yeah. And I'm talking about it was the last straw for me, going to see a doctor. Why was that the last I, straw? I don't know why, Caroline, I really don't. You know, like, uh, it was... My wife that was like, like, if you cut yourself, like, you'd be the first one to send one of the people that work with you to go and see the doctor. Yeah. Like, why won't you go and see the doctor? And I was just really embarrassed about it. I know. I mean, that's um, totally fine to say, because I think that's what most yeah. people struggle with. In, in, initially, it's admitting that you're, you're struggling. And then it's also admitting to yourself that you are applying a stigma to yourself and that you feel shame mm. towards yourself. Even though, like, anyone who works for you, if they came to you and said... I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. You would not think twice about saying like, take, you know, to get some help. That's totally fine. But with yourself, you think, no, I should be able to outsmart this. Did yeah. you ring my wife before we spoke here? No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? This is just what I'm getting from listening to you now. That's exactly what happened, Caroline. Like, you know, like if you take the, I'm, I'm quite pragmatic in my approach to things. And, you know, I, I'd like to understand management to manage the, the people. And I know that if people need help, if you don't get it for them, well, then they're not going to be productive and all of those things, you know. And the people that manage me, like my boss and work and was trying to get me help at the time and I didn't want to listen to him or, you know, hindsight now is a wonderful thing when I look back at some of the carry on of what I was, do- of what I was doing and the way I was behaving. But um, I was, I, I see a business coach, uh, a fellow called Ian Kingston, uh, incredible, incredible guy, um, has really helped me understand all of this as well. And, you know, he's he's made me understand the part around being a high achiever that, you know, this is one of the pitfalls of the, the, the yeah. chase of perfection. Um, but if you actually channel 
and understand what's going on. And when you when you feel the when the signs are coming on, that if you step back and really start to you know do the things that make you feel well, you can manage it. You know, and I think. I don't want to say that the box is ticked and I have it sorted, but it's certainly a hell of a lot more sorted than what it was when it's... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And do you remember getting to a point where you felt yourself accept the fact that you are a vulnerable person that for all of your achievements no matter how much you know we think we have our shit together you're still susceptible to you know burning the candle sometimes and and feeling below par so for me I mean no matter what I was trying when I my anxiety was so bad nothing was going to make a difference until I accepted that first of all this had happened that it was okay that this had happened and that it was normal and actually a lot more common than I thought it really that accepting it and owning it I suppose was when things that I was doing such as you know you say breath work that's when that stuff started to actually be helpful do you remember getting to yeah. that point of acceptance yeah I kind of but I still don't always fully accept it if I'm being very honest with you you know yeah. I still I still often think right I fixed that now you know yeah it shouldn't come up could, again yeah yeah that, that that was a that was a you know a weak moment in my in my life and you know very still the ignorance of me saying that is is incredible, but that's just what I think sometimes, you know, and then yeah. uh, like that's just me being brutally honest. But then I also, like this time, this, if I just bring it back to what's going on at the moment, like I remember the last lockdown and I wasn't working and there was not a whole lot going on. And, you know, we were at home, everything was brilliant. We were spending loads of time with the kids. We were out working and training together. Yeah, this feeling was creeping back up on me again. And, I think it was a little bit of the loss of control of what was happening with my career, which was bothering me. Yeah. Um, so that's where I set up this online cookery program that I run via Zoom now. That's where that came in to say, well, no, do you know what? I'm not going to let anyone control my destiny except me. So, you know, what I try and teach my kids and what we try and have in this household is that you make your own look and, you yeah. know, hard work and determination will always shine through above anything else. And for me, to be able to manage anxiety, it's kind of a little bit of hard work and determination and making sure that all the other things are there. You know, and when I wasn't working, my creativity box wasn't getting ticked and that's an issue for me. I need to get that box ticked. Yeah, I mean, so, it's often you know. very creative people. You know, we, we think a lot, we're high achievers and it's quite an overactive brain that, you know, anxiety kind of sometimes goes hand in hand with that. So to be yeah. like achieving what you've achieved and have that level of perfectionism that you're trying to hit and that's because of your job and because of your nature as well. But like you're you're in a job where, like I said, there's no no there's no room for mistakes really. Like of course, anxiety is going to probably be the the counterpart to all of those great like highs. Is is this kind of low? And it's about really just accepting it and learning to manage it. Um, but you had messaged me and and I was really taken aback in in a positive way that 
you know, you you said there that you're you're forty one. Is it mm. that you, as a, a man of your age, would reach out to someone and say, you know, Caroline, I know that you've experienced this. I'm not feeling great. I just wanted to reach out. Like that to me was like, okay, we're actually getting somewhere. Um, in terms mm. of especially men feeling comfortable enough to kind of say, look, hands up, I actually could do it a little bit of support here. And you mentioned to yeah. me that you were advised to take medication. I was just wondering if you did go down that route and if you struggled with, I mean, for me, I really struggled with the idea that I was, because I went on medication myself, I'm still on it and it works really mm. well for me. But I really fought it for a long time because I felt so much like what you say, where I felt like I, you know, this means I'm so weak that I need medication. When actually sure. your wife saying to you, you'd go to the doctor if you had, you know, a stomach ache or whatever. I'm just wondering about your, your kind of thoughts around medication. The doctor prescribed this. I actually can't remember what it was called, but it was basically, it wasn't, uh, it was basically to get rid of that feeling of not being able to breathe. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a, an antidepressant. It was more of a as a, as a relaxant or something, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I took them. I took a half of one uh, three times, I think. Um, and even when I took them, I didn't feel it was the right thing to do, so I stopped. Um, I still have them. Uh, I with the last time when I spoke to the doctor, he spoke to me again about medication. I told him that wasn't a route that I wanted to go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I I feel that way about um. But I do feel that it's never gotten to a point where I felt it was out of control. Yeah, um, great. So, I mean, that's probably why, if, if you're asking me about, do I think there's an issue with anybody taking medication? Definitely not. Do whatever you need to do to feel better. Um, yeah. But also, for me, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And up until now, I haven't had to take any form of medication besides, as I said, those couple of little half tablets that I took a few times. And... Even the, the last time I took a half tablet afterwards, it just didn't it didn't agree with me. It's the way that I'm going to describe it. Yeah. It didn't make me feel any better. It just didn't make it. It made me feel worse. I think, and I don't know whether it was the thought that I took it or I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me, so yeah. I didn't take them anymore. But um, I wouldn't say no even now if I felt lousy again that uh, that I would go back and talk to the doctor and see what the options are, and yeah. um, because you know. I often think about, you know, the word depression and anxiety and all of these different terms that are thrown around. And I don't, now I understand an awful lot more about it. Um, But I still feel in my mind, I totally get why people don't understand it. And that was probably why I agreed to do this. Um, Because the job that I work in, and I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, but, you know, I work in an industry that's very male-led, um, and it shouldn't be, you know, some of the great chefs that I've ever worked with have been women and uh, girls. And th- th- there's this, it actually bugs me when I hear people talking about uh, female chefs and male chefs. They're just chefs. Like yeah. we're all just chefs, you know, and there's been some amazing work done over the last few years about highlighting the fact that there were just chefs in the kitchen. And um, I, I, the head of an organization called Eurotalk, um, I'm the commissioner general of Eurotalk and have been for the past three years. And we run the, uh, culinary competition the Irish uh, culinary competition for me it's the best one that's around all year We unfortunately we couldn't do it last year with COVID but I'm seeing young eager chefs coming up uh, at you know it's between 18 and 26 um, it's girls and boys men and women and we never look at them either left or right or, um, but yet always when it comes up people are asking the question is Oh, why is there so many men competing and why is there so many women competing? And I'd be looking going, we don't say who competes. Yeah. We just accept the, the, accept, the, um, accept the application when it comes in. And as it turns out, in the last three or four years, I think three girls have won it above, above men, which means nothing. A chef wins it every year. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of, I often look at that sometimes in, in a similar type of area to... Uh, depression and anxiety and my industry in particular has a lot of it going on because there's a lot of late nights there's a lot of drinking goes on there's a lot of drug use goes on within kitchens and within my industry Um, and there's an awful lot of if you ever showed any sign of weakness you'd be eaten up and spat back out the other side god that's so tough so like what advice would you have now for someone who maybe I mean, like, I feel like I would probably fall apart on day one if I had culinary skills and I wanted to work in a kitchen. But <laughs> like that environment is so high pressure. It's, you know, like from what you're describing, it, it can maybe at some times be 
you know, not a very positive place if you're not hitting your marks or if, if something's going wrong and someone is going home thinking, oh my God, I failed, you know, and they've disappointed the head chef or whatever. What if that person is sensitive, but also is really talented? Like what needs to happen in your industry or in general for people to be able to pursue what they want and have that level of achievement, but also allow for the fact that we're all human beings. I mean, is that changing, do you think? That has 100% changed. And I suppose that's kind of the way I wanted to say it. Like the kitchens that I worked in 20 years ago are not like the kitchens now. They're nothing like that. Kitchens now are a much more supportive, calm environment than what they were 20 years ago. I mean, I've been in kitchens where people are throwing stuff at one another and, you know, the longer the shift you worked, the better a chef you were. And, you know, yeah. like we, we really dial into work-life balance. And I mean, you, you know, have to, because otherwise you just wouldn't survive it. You would, your career would be very short-lived because the burnout is something so real and it's going to yeah. catch up with you eventually. So I suppose what we're trying to promote and educate on now is that programs like EAP support programs and, and competitions like Young Chef and Eurotalk in itself being a community of chefs that we can all reach out and talk to one another. And it wouldn't be unusual for me, another chef to ring me and us to have a conversation similar to what we're having now. I mean, I've had these type of conversations with uh, peers, uh, people within my industry, um, one of my really good friends and colleagues, he was a head chef of mine, um, I would have spoken to him and reached out to him in and around the time that you and I spoke back way back then, and he booked me in for a, a, an acupuncture session and um, yeah. paid for the whole thing, didn't say anything to me, just called me, Gareth, I booked you in, this is the time, you're going to go and see an acupuncturist. He was seeing an act- acupuncturist, if that's what it's called, for a running injury that he had, and he said, I just, I, and he was also suffering with a fear of heights, um, yeah. And he told me to go and see this person. And that was another little thing that kind of, that maybe it helped, maybe it didn't. It certainly made me feel better when I came out of that surgery that day. Yeah. Um, oh, acupuncture was amazing for me as well. Just in terms mm-hmm. of literally calming down that physical anxious yeah. response. It's very, if well, for me anyway, it was very effective. Yeah. And, you know, again, if I, if I jump back across then into like, again, John Belton has been a, a great support for me. He would, he, he is constantly telling me to, to calm down because I just want to keep training and training and do more and more. And he was like, no, the rest days are as important as the, the big heavy training days. And that was something that I had to learn about myself because every time I try and do something, I'd probably go a little bit over the top of it, you know? So that's just the makeup of me. And, you know, that's something that I've had to learn over the last 18 months, two years, three years, that that's the build up of me and, you know, that's just going to be probably part of the way I am going. For, well, it's always been the part of how I am, but it's after making this little anxiety thing. I mean, no, it's not that little. This thing come out in me now. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm, I understand how to manage it a hell of a lot better than before. I even still have a problem with you telling me that I have anxiety and even sitting here talking to you. <laughs> well, I mean, but I also honest. have a problem with that. When people say to me, oh, you have anxiety. I, I It bothers me because it's like a label you're pl- putting on yourself. What I yeah, say yeah. is, everyone is has a stress response everyone is prone to feeling stressed and anxious i don't walk around with an anxious cloud hanging over my head but Mm. if i if you know x y and z happening for me i might be likely to feel anxious and when i feel it Mm. i say oh i'm having a bit of an anxious wave right now but then i come out of it just as much as i went into it i've never liked labels i've never this is probably controversial i've never liked the idea of like generalized anxiety disorder because i think it just means that you're accepting that you'll never feel better and really it's about managing it and like riding the waves when you do feel anxious you know you know what to do and when you don't you look after yourself just as much as well so I never describe myself really as an anxious person I say that I have you know a tendency towards anxiety sometimes yeah and that's probably now what that's exactly the same as me because if someone turned around now if you met me on the street and I might be feeling anxious and you asked me how anxiety I'd say no yeah you know and um, and that's probably wrong or I don't know whether it's wrong or right but you know I definitely think how you described it there is definitely there's still an awful lot of shame around it and why so, is that well because for so long you know when it came to mental health um that is something that we feel like we should be able to control whereas if you break your leg it's something that happens to you if you get a stomach bug you've caught a stomach bug if you feel mm. unwell mentally we perceive that as oh our mind that is us that's something we should be able to control. And if we can't control it, we're out of control. And if we're out of control, maybe we're going to get locked up because back in the day, yeah, yeah. that's what would have happened. You know, like I have um, a relative on, on my husband's side far, far down the line, but not that long ago, who was having anxiety due to work, stress and anxiety, very, very normal. But as was the time, he was 
put away in a mental institution. And it was, it was easier for everyone at the time to say that he had died. So everyone thought that this person was dead. And he, because the shame was so great that it was like, oh, he's actually locked away and they could, nobody could cope with admitting that he had gone mad. And I remember being like, oh, what was the stress about? And it was like some just kind of, you know, general stress to do with work. And that was so intolerable at the time. So like we are shouldering all of those years of stigma and it, it, be, it meaning that you're, you know, not okay and that you're gone mad. And it's, it's really, really hard to undo. And we have to undo it. You know, I'm still undo, trying to undo it myself. I still find myself, when I feel waves of anxiety, I still feel like, oh, you should have outsmarted this by now. You know, you should be able to figure this out. You're smart enough. And I keep having to remind myself, it's, it really comes back to just hormones in your body. And if you push yourself too long and you're producing those stress hormones and you're not giving yourself a chance to catch up, it's going to tipple over into heightened levels of stress, which then turns into anxiety. And all that is, is your body communicating with you to say, listen, let's just pull it back a little bit. And that's all that's happening. Yeah, but the kicker is sometimes when you're the person that doesn't like to come back, pull back. I know. You know, that's, that's where the challenge there lies. And I suppose that's been the biggest learn for me over the past few years. Yeah. But, you know, if, if I don't feel controlled, then I lose control. You know, yeah. that, that's probably something that, that I need to write that down. That was actually good. <laughs> um, I think there's an extra stigma, though, for men. And, and also now in your role as a father. So I wanted to ask you about this because I have a friend um, who's whose dad actually reached out to me, I won't name any names, and said okay. to me, I've actually started to feel anxiety and I know that you've written about it. I, I just am that person for a lot of people. And yeah, yeah. What, whatever the anxiety was about, it was to do with work. What he was most struggling with was, but I am a father to four kids. I am the men, I'm meant to be the strong person. They meant to look up to me. I can, they can't see me fall apart. I need to snap out mm. of this right away. And he was perpetuating the anxiety based on that fear of this masculine role that he was supposed to uphold at all times and never waver. Mm. And his kids are like, more than like, it's okay if you feel overwhelmed. Like, you know, we're not expecting you to be infallible, but do you feel that that added to your anxiety because being a father and being a man, were you worried what your kids would think? It never crossed my mind, to be honest with you, what my kids would think. Well, I don't want to put um, it into your head now. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I don't, I, I, I 100% understand the question that you just said to me, but, you know, it was never something that, you know, it was always something that I always felt that I was able to have to fix on my own. And the reality is, is that I couldn't fix it on my own. So the people that helped me fix it were the people that were closest to me. My wife obviously being one and then she was the one that actually convinced me to go and see the doctor. And, and then all of those things started to fall into play. And then, like most things, once you start getting an understanding, you educate yourself on that and you speak to smart people that are smarter than me about this type of thing, or you, you um, <laughs> all of these things started making much more sense to me, you know. And then once I really got an understanding of it, I stood back from it and went, okay, all of those things that I thought for all of these years were wrong. You know, and that, I don't have a problem admitting being wrong at all. Um, yeah. And I was wrong in thinking that, you know, great and determination and work is going to fix this. It's not. It's about standing back from it, assessing what's going on, figuring out what's going to be the triggers that work for you to make it slow down. And then once I've done all of those things, alcohol is another thing that really doesn't help me if I'm feeling that way. Yeah. Um, if I just have to stop. I'm not a heavy drinker anyway, but if I was drinking in any way like even a couple of glasses of wine and a few beers I would just if I was feeling this way at all I stopped drinking yeah so, same and yeah. I wait until I feel back to normal is not the right word but back to myself I think is a nicer yeah. way to describe it you don't need to make massive like cut everything out of your life if and when you feel yourself you know things are getting a little bit too much you say okay I'm going to invoke x y and z that i know works for me i'm gonna this is what i do i mean i'm gonna peel back a little bit on all the commitments i'm gonna probably not have as much sugar or as much alcohol and then it doesn't mean it's permanent then you kind of give your body a chance to say okay we've got this it could everything could come back to like a sense of equilibrium and then you can kind of proceed again and it's just about really give and take and being mindful of, of how you're feeling and what you're taking on as you go when i was gonna go and see the doctor i was fully convinced that the doctor was gonna tell me just to take tablets yeah. And I remember saying to my wife, if I go up here and he, and she was like, how do you know what he's going to say until you go up and ask him what was going on? And he had said to me, uh, he, he said it was definitely going to be the last option, that he wanted me to really look at my sleep, my yeah. exercise, my diet. And I remember walking out of there going, well, I had a total perception of, you know, and I think a lot of this is being driven by the media, that the GPs will, will be pushing the... The last thing they want, because they want to make sure... 
Like there's nothing wrong with medication if you need it. If you need medication, that is totally fine. As long as you are addressing it and actually looking at the triggers and, and what's going on in your life, you can't just slap a plaster on it and hope it goes away. Yeah. That will not happen. Yeah. It has to be a holistic approach to looking at, you know, what's actually filling my tank, what's draining it. Even though I'm really stressed and busy, am I actually, am I happy with this stuff? Because there's optimal anxiety as well, which you obviously have a level of optimal anxiety in order to achieve what you do in the kitchen every night. You know, so it's really about just understanding more about working with yourself rather than working yeah. against yourself. I still am sometimes working on my own judgment of myself when it comes to, you know, anxiety and we all have to work hard, but you're obviously, I mean, I know you're not there yet in terms of, you know, wanting to say, look, I have anxiety and it's, and it's amazing. No one wants to get there. No one wants to have anxiety in their life. It sucks. What would you say to another man of your age in particular who thinks uh, mental health's a load of bullshit or, you know, it's for the weak or have had no experience in it, but start to feel a little tremor of anxiety what's the first thing you would say to that person who's you know the big lad would you know never had had perceived weakness before um is always a strong one always gets on with it and but actually they can start to feel themselves the pressure cooker is starting to kind of really go off for them what would you say to that person i'd 100 I'd, I'd, I'd tell them to go and see a professional yeah. so either it was either a doctor or a business coach like who helped me at the time or um, obviously speak to the people that are closest to you because, and I would be fairly sure now that they're going to say what I'm saying, but asking for help has to be the start of this, you know? And if, when you go and you do that and you realise that, oh my God, that's not a, they're not going to make me take tablets and they're not going to lock me up in a hospital and they're not going to tell me that I'm a weakling or they're not going to tell me that I'm a, a massive failure or, you know, and, the reality is now I, I do like to think that things are changing like I've really seen I've been strong enough I don't know whether that's the right way to say it but I've spoken to a good few of my friends about this and people that know me my whole life and that's amazing my, my close friends men have been so supportive and so understanding and none of them said to me get yourself a mirror there and have a look at yourself and get yeah. up a little bit earlier and you know work a bit harder and because people not it's not it's not about hard work and graft that's the thing that i really had to understand pushing harder doesn't fix it yeah. you know if anything it makes it it makes it worse and yeah. I, at the time i just was thinking to myself i just need to get my arse in gear i need to push harder i need to be more you know um i need to be more ambitious i need to be i need to achieve more i need to get more and then when all those boxes are ticked i'd feel better um but the reality was I was probably achieving less than I was ever achieving. And I was probably, you know, I was probably doing my job worse. And I was, I was probably doing everything worse. I wasn't training as well. I wasn't doing my job as well. I probably wasn't doing as well at home. Everything wasn't as well because I wasn't feeling very well. You know, when I understood that then, I kind of went, no, actually, you know what? And if it's coming on now, as I said, I'm surrounded by incredibly, incredibly supportive people. Um, my wife obviously being at the centre of that, but also people that I work with and, or, you know, I put mechanism in place. I'm not afraid for someone to come and tell me to cop on. And sometimes that's also needed. You know, you're working too much. You need to cop on to yourself here or you're going to start feeling shit again. Yeah. You know, and to have someone in your life that's able to do that is a very, very special thing, I think. I know. Yeah, you're very lucky to have that support network around you. Mm. Gareth, I have so much respect for everything that you've said here and being so willing to, you know, open up and be vulnerable and admit that, you know, you, you're still is, struggling. Is that what I was doing just now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you probably feel like you need to go and not talk to anyone now for a few days. Um, I, need, I but, need to go and run. But yes, but thank you so much for, I mean, I know it's going to make, make a massive difference to someone else listening who really struggles to strike that balance between perfectionism and being a high achiever and also you know the anxiety so thank you so much for for telling me your story and i'm really glad that you have found more balance and that you know that okay these waves might come but i but i understand why they're coming and i know what to do and it doesn't mean i mean i also had that massive fear of i i thought when i didn't understand anxiety i thought no they're going to actually send me away and i used to drive but I had to, to get to Dundrum Shopping Centre I had to drive by a mental hospital and I would drive out of my way to avoid it because I couldn't even look at it I was so frightened I'd end up there and there's nothing wrong if you have to go and do a stint you beat me to it I was just about to say that you know what if that's what it took to feel better yeah. Yeah. you know I wouldn't feel if anybody went and had to spend some time in, uh, in a hospital because they weren't feeling well I certainly wouldn't think any different of you if yeah. anything I'd probably respect you a little bit more 
yeah. you know, and that's the real message that, and while we're thanking, you're thanking me, I'd also like to say thank you to you because you probably didn't realize at the time, but it was a, an incredible help for me when that time when I reached out to you and you came back to me. Oh, um, God, so, anytime. You know, and, and I mean that, you know, because it's, you know, I think if if all of us were a little bit more open and a little bit more given with what we do, um, the place would just be a better place. And I made a decision as well at the start of all this that I'd stop surrounding myself with, with, with assholes. <laughs> yeah, so that also helps. It definitely helps. If you're, if you're with somebody and they're draining you, if they're negative or they're into, just get rid of them. Don't spend yeah. time with people like that because life's too short. Um, so I only, I only like hanging out with cool people and that's what I surround myself with both, both personally and as much as I can professionally. And if there is somebody professionally that's draining me, I give them the least amount of time possible. Yeah. So if that's what your trigger is and it's someone that's doing it, remove it. That's what my business coach uh, helped me with. He was like, you know, focus on the positives, remove the negatives, and very, very quickly you'll see the creativity rising back up again. And that's what happened, you know, and that, that that's, I think, was an amazing piece of advice from a professional side of things. Wow, Gary, so, thank you so much. I so appreciate it and I cannot wait to eat some more of your food when the hotel's back open and I hear, I believe you're making sausage rolls at the moment and I actually am salivating even thinking about it. I'm so hungry. So I'm going to go now and exactly. eat something that won't taste as good as that. Thanks a Thank you, bye. See you later, bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.